Okay, the reading this morning is from uh, the book of Ruth, in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. If you're using the church Bible, it's page 223, and it's on the screen. And um, the first chapter we're reading, the book of Ruth, the first chapter, just after Judges, and just before 1 Samuel. First chapter of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons was Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephraphites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Marlon and Kilion died so that the women was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may come, become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I, should have, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the, wo the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You were lifted up at Calvary, and we ask that you would be lifted up amid this time in the word right now that you would draw us to yourself. We pray you would draw some for the first time. We pray you would draw the rest for the 100th time. But we pray you would draw us all to you and that we would love and trust you again. In your name, amen. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Or if you have no idea what I just said, trust God amid tragedy. Trust God amid tragedy. We begin a series this morning in the book of Ruth. And this will be a series for those of you who are struggling to trust God amid tragedy. A series for those of you who are hanging on by your fingernails. For those of you who live in the darkness of doubt... And have forgotten what the light of hope feels like on your skin. A series for the downcast. For the discouraged. For the depressed. For the disappointed. And for the, for the discontented. And if Ruth, if that's where you are today, do let me say Ruth is a perfect book for you because while tragedy abounds in Ruth, so does redemption. Ruth and her redeemer Boaz point us to our redeemer, Jesus Christ. The same Jesus who said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim 
good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's the one that can lift your heaviest burden as though it were light as a feather. And so what's the point of Ruth chapter 1? Well, the point of Ruth chapter 1 is the command that you just heard a minute ago. Trust amid tragedy. Trust God amid tragedy. And today we're going to see first the tragedies of Ruth chapter 1. The tragedies. Look at verses 1 to 5 again. We read, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Five verses, five tragedies. The first was moral. The story of Ruth, we're told, takes place in the, in the days when the judges ruled. And that was the, t- the time in between the conquest of Canaan and the coronation of King Saul around 1050 BC. And it was the darkest, most wicked time in Israel's history. I'll spare you all of the details, but here's the Bible's own summary of that time. In those days, there was no king in the land Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The second tragedy was was economic. You see that in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. The author wants you to get the irony. Bethlehem means house of bread. But at this time, there was no bread in the house of bread. And that might have been a, a direct act of of judgment on the people in view of their sin, maybe, maybe not, but there was a famine in the land nevertheless. The third, fourth, and fifth tragedies were familial tragedies or family tragedies. After Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, his, his wife, and Malon and Kilion, their sons, moved east from Bethlehem to Moab, Elimelech died. And then after Malon and Kilion had married Ruth and Orpah, They died too. We don't know how, but what we know is this. No sorrow was like Naomi's sorrow. And not only were all three of these women sorrowful, they were now vulnerable. Back then it was a man's world. And financial and judicial and whatever else, justice depended on the presence of men in the family. So five verses, five verses tragedies. Friend, allow me to remind you today of this unfortunate fact. 
outside of the Garden of Eden, tragedy is a fact of life, even for God's people. Do you know, it's, it's amazing. I came across this week a, a commentary that puts all of this on Elimelech, Elimelech's fault. They say, look, he, he walked by faith, not by sight. He should have stayed in Bethlehem and just trusted God to provide. He said, look, he, he prioritized the physical, not the spiritual. Moab was a shady place with a shady history, and, and that's where he led his, his family. No wonder all of this happened. He said he honored the enemy, the Moabites, over honoring the Lord. And that preaches so well, doesn't it? So powerfully. But the reality is God's people share the same broken world with everyone else. And so don't be surprised if, if brokenness sneaks into your family even after you've made the best choices and the most godly decisions. You've all heard me quote, extensively from John Patton's autobiography. You remember he was a missionary from Scotland. He moved to the New Hebrides to reach the cannibals there in the 1800s. And not long after uh, he arrived, this is, this is what he, he writes in his autobiography. Quote, my dear wife, Mary Ann Robson, landed with me on Tanner, one of the islands, on the 5th of November, 1858, in excellent health and full of all tender and holy hopes. On the 12th of February, 1859, God sent to us our firstborn son. For two days or so, both mother and child seemed to prosper, and our island exile thrilled with joy. But the greatest of sorrows was treading hard upon the heels of that joy. My darling's strength showed no signs of rallying. She had an attack of ague and fever a few days before, on the third day or so thereafter, it returned and attacked her every second day with increasing severity for a fortnight. And then, in a moment, altogether unexpectedly, she died on the 3rd of March. And to crown my sorrows and complete my loneliness, the dear baby boy, whom we had named after her father, Peter Robert Robson, was taken from me after one week's sickness on the 20th of March. Now listen to this. Let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me, as for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. What then are we to do? What are we to do? Well, friends, here's what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't be fooled into thinking that the grass is greener somewhere else. But why, why do I say that? Well, think about it. Elimelech left Bethlehem for Moab because of a, a famine, and yet tragedy overtook them anyway. And it is so easy in our comfortable world to bail the moment something gets hard because we believe that the grass is greener somewhere else. So if my, if my marriage is hard, well, I'll just get another marriage. If, if my family is hard, well, I'll, ju I'll just get another family then. If, if, if something is hard, I'll trade it, I'll swap it in 
for something else. But Ruth chapter 1 reminds us there is no tragedy-free zone in this world. Friends, here's what we should do. We should set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because our hope, friends, is not in this world, whether in Bethlehem or Moab, Hoylake or West Kirby. Our hope is in the world to come and in the, wor- and, and in the one who will bring it to us. Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne. And we need a loud voice to remind us of this, don't we? Behold, H-E-C, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friend, remind yourself often that that is your destiny if your faith is in Christ. Think about it often. We never do that, do we, really? I can't remember, I was looking over my sermon this morning and I completely forgot the name of the theologian. There was a theologian and he, and he disciplined himself every day to spend exactly 10 minutes at a minimum thinking about heaven. Have you ever done that? I've never done that. But that's not a bad idea, is it? And so to those who are knee-deep today in tragedy, and part of the reason we're walking through Ruth is because I know some of you are walking through tragedy. Friend, hear me when I say this. Heaven is on the way. Heaven is on the way. Life is short. Forget the greener grass. Get a heavenly perspective. You see, tragedy can envelop you, can't it? And prosperity can can trick you into thinking that nothing better could possibly be on the way. But friends, I don't care how much money you have, and I don't care how much tragedy you're facing right now, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, on that day, you will see His face. And you will fall at his feet. And he will stoop to your level. As we heard last Sunday morning. And he will say to you. Fear not. I am the first and the last. And the living one. I died and behold I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And so we've seen the tragedies. But next I want us to see the trust. Look at verse 6 with me. It says. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go. 
return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for is it, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and that is, she kissed her goodbye, she kissed her farewell, and returned to Moab. But Ruth clung to her. Verse 15. And she, Naomi, said, See, your daughter-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. What was even more amazing than... Ruth's attachment to Naomi was Ruth's faith in Naomi's God. Her, her attachment to Naomi was amazing because think about it again. In Bethlehem, Ruth would be damaged goods. She was a foreigner. She was from the wrong side of the Dead Sea. She was a widow. She was a woman. And again, a man was needed back then for security and everything else. But her trust in Naomi's God was even more amazing. Your God, my God. No longer Chemosh, forget him, but Yahweh, the Lord of the world. And friends, this is so often what tragedy does to us. It throws us onto God. False gods all of a sudden will no longer do. What can they do for us in a tragedy? Self will no longer do. Worldly joys will no longer do. Only God will do. And so I just want to say, if you're here today and you're, you're not yet a Christian, but you're knee deep in tragedy, friend, let your tragedy have its due effect and throw yourself onto God. Trust Him amid your tragedy, fall on him, give in to him, surrender to him, count the world as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing him. That might be the very reason why your tragedy came into your life in the first place, to make you fall on God face down. Suffering, my friend, is not meaningless. Suffering is a tool in heaven's toolkit to fix us to God. I still remember when I was doing my A-levels and the philosophy 
teacher back then read out a section of Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. I'm probably saying that wrong, sorry. But in that book, Ivan, the, the main character, I think he starts off as a believer, but he ends up wanting to give his ticket back to God. And what he says, basically, in effect, is this. All suffering is meaningless. And therefore, if God can allow meaningless suffering, then I don't want anything to do with him, and I don't want anything to do with the world that he's designed. The Bible says wrong. Wrong. Here's the fact. Pleasure reduces us all to fools. But suffering makes us wise. Because suffering makes us dependent, and dependent is what we really are. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. And you remember people came to Jesus and they asked him the why suffering question. And you remember what he said? Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And tragedy is how God wakes us up to the need to repent and to trust in God. That's ultimately why it exists. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But you know, more than shouting to us in our pain, God also meets us in our pain as well. Because Jesus Christ was plunged into the deepest suffering of all. And what that means is he can meet you wherever you are. It means there's no level of pain that you can experience that Jesus hasn't felt. There's no degree of sorrow that Jesus hasn't felt. So what it means is he can always empathize. He can always sympathize. He can always relate to you because he's been there and then some. He went all the way down into death and rose again victorious. So that whether, wherever you are, he can lead you all the way to victory. He doesn't look down on sufferers. No, no, no. Jesus beckons them with crucified hands. And he says, come to me. Fall on me. And I will help you. And I will strengthen you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, Hugh, I've, I've done all that. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. How am I supposed to think about my tragedy? Well, that, well, without wanting to be in any way callous to Naomi, Naomi does show us how not to think about our tragedies. And that's what we're going to see third. The mistrust. Look at verses 19 to 22. So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this 
Naomi. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. How did Naomi understand her tragedies? Well, she understood them as proof that God was against her in her sin. She understood that they were God's punishment toward her for some past sin. That's what she meant all the way back in verse 13 when she said, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And here in verse 20, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. And friends, Naomi was not wrong to be heartbroken. Naomi wasn't even wrong to understand that ultimately all of this had come by the hand of God. But Naomi was wrong to believe that God was punishing her for her sin. Why? Because God is for his people, not against them. And do you see, friends, this is absolutely crucial. Do you see what Naomi is doing here? Naomi was letting her circumstances shape her view of God instead, instead of letting her God shape her view of her circumstances. She was reasoning upside down. She was reasoning from the ground up instead of from heaven down. And Naomi was thinking, look, since life is, is bitter, then God is bitter against me. And since life is hard, God's heart is hard against me. And behind God's frowning providence is God's frowning face toward me for some sin at some place or another. But no, 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 Naomi. God is not against you. God is for you. And he loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And even when God does afflict us to discipline us, it is not to punish us. It is to mature us. It's not to break us. It's to mend us. Jesus Christ was already punished for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Think about that. All of God's judgment, all of God's wrath, all of God's justice was poured out on him. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. And so God is not punishing us when he disciplines us. He is disciplining us to train us in righteousness. Weaning us off ourselves. Weaning us off the world. So that even if Naomi's hardship was God's discipline to order for some sin somewhere or another. That did not mean that God was against her. It meant that God was for her 
in a fatherly love. It was all part of God's design. Think for a moment back when your children were really, really young and you had to wash their hair and they hated it, didn't they? And with one hand, you're causing their discomfort with the shower head. And with the other hand, you're comforting them with the towel pressed to their face. But you're doing it, why? To cleanse them, to purify them. You're causing the discomfort, you're comforting them in the discomfort for their good. Not because you hate them, but because you love them. Now look, we can see God's good plan for Ruth and Naomi in 20 minutes. That's how long it takes. We just sit down and in a leisurely pace, we go from Ruth chapter one to the end of Ruth chapter four. And we see, oh, okay. So through Ruth's line came Boaz, or rather David. And then through David's line came Jesus. And through Jesus came salvation to Hoylake. Understood, got it. But they had to live it. It didn't take them 20 minutes. No, it took years for them to see what God was doing. And the truth is, they were called to trust God's good design even before they knew what it was for. And that's what we're called to do as well, to trust God amid tragedy even before we know what he's doing. Even before we understand the plan, the design, the wisdom, the purpose, one day we will get it, whether in this life or in the next, but the call is to trust him before we get it. And if you want to be assured that God is for you and not against you, then friend, look away from the tragedy and look away to the cross. For God so loved you, that he gave his only son, that when you believed in him, you were promised that you would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Would God really curse you after he cursed his son at the cross? Friend, no. Now he blesses you even in and through hardship, pain, tragedy, and loss. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Amen. Amen. Why don't we pray together and we're going to stand and sing. Father, we, we just want to be a trusting people. And when we don't understand and when we cannot understand, we want to rest content in the knowledge that you understand and you know what you're doing. And you are for us, not against us, even in pain, even in hardship, even in calamity. 
And oh Lord, we pray that you would make this church a believing church. And that Lord, even before you've made it plain, you would bridge the gap with faith. And we ask you, oh Lord, to bless us in that knowledge in Jesus' name. Amen.